Recording in progress. everybody welcome back to the podcast episode 70 of the noel castler podcast not sure if you could hear that but that is my trusty 53 hoffner beautiful archtop guitar i got this in kingston ontario in honor of the great gord downey lead singer and lyricist of the tragically hip one of the greatest bands ever and um I was there on a Jackson Brown tour, as I often <laughs> am when these instruments come into the uh, podcast. As you know, that's how I got a lot of my collection was on the road. And in that particular town, I got a knock on my mor- my door. We had a day off. I think it was a Saturday. And I got a knock at my door, which was unusual since I was the road manager. And it was Jackson. And he said, hey, Noel, man, have you seen that? guitar store across the street it's incredible and he'd already been in there and got i think a 68 or a 69 j45 with the uh kind of cherry sunburst really sweet guitar and he got a great deal on it so i immediately went across the street and i scored that particular guitar i just showed you and i'd seen a picture of gord downey playing a similar guitar on uh his solo album doing some shows for his solo album so I, you know, I had this fantasy in my head that it was one of his extras that ended up in the local guitar shop. So I purchased it. He was still alive at the time, but that's my tragically hip guitar, killer guitar. It was imported into Canada by the Selmer company because they there was some kind of contractual thing they couldn't import into the US, but they could into Canada. So that's why there's a lot of those guitars up there in Canada, and they're relatively rare here in the States. And I will shut up now. Enough guitar talk. I'm coming to you on Sunday morning of 4th of July weekend. So I hope everybody listening is doing something relaxing and something that can sort of recharge their batteries because it has been a time, right? Is everybody exhausted? You know, I know I am. I'm not really, I'll keep going, but man, everything's getting frayed. It's a week into the Roe v. Wade decision, and it seems like every other headline is some horrific story about a woman or a girl who is being denied an abortion in some draconian red state that immediately had trigger laws that adopted the no exceptions clause for abortions. So we all heard that horrific story of the 10-year-old girl who had to go to Indiana from Ohio because she was pregnant and denied an abortion. I don't even know if that story is true. I guess it is. You know, it was widely reported over the weekend. But a country that has 10-year-olds that get impregnated has a bigger problem than just abortion. You know, but the abortion should be the very least of the safety nets available to that child, right? There should be counseling. There should be legal 
you know, investigations and you should lock up whoever got a 10-year-old pregnant, but it certainly shouldn't be sort of protected by the state. And that's what it feels like when the state won't apply the medical attention necessary for a woman. You're telling her she's less than human. She doesn't have the rights to her own future. You know, and that's what that ruling was. And that's why so many are outraged. And that's why so many in our country are going to celebrate the 4th of July this weekend and wave flags and blow stuff up and scare all the dogs and the vets in their neighborhood, neighborhood, you know, under the guise of freedom, under the guise of patriotism, which if you listen to this show, you know, in many cases is just complete BS. It's the biggest con ever perpetrated on a people. The myth of American exceptionalism in the modern age is exactly that. It's a myth, okay? The guys that wave those flags and support Donald Trump and have the screaming eagle tattoos on their pickup trucks or their tits or wherever they're putting them are not patriots. They're punks. They're dudes who've been punked by billionaires who could care less about their future and their rights. Okay, Ron DeSantis is not trying to bring democracy to America. He's trying to bring theocracy. He's trying to bring a way to keep people down so they can profit and their buddies can profit, all the billionaires, right? That's what we're seeing come to fruition now. That's what the Supreme Court is. Those three justices that Trump appointed were on a list that was handed to him by Leonard Leo. You know, the head of the Federalist Society walked into Trump's office in Trump Tower, you know, two floors below where there's Russian brothels and poker dens and all kinds of malfeasance going on for decades where he was literally laundering money for the Russians. A guy from an American conservative think tank walks in there days after he's elected in 2016 with the help of Putin and the Russians, hands Trump a list and says, hey, you can pick any of these six or nine guys. I forget how many people are on the list. You can pick any of these guys and nominate them to the Supreme Court with our approval. And three of those names that were on that list sit on the Supreme Court right now. So it's no accident, you know. And the real reason they're there, the reason they use these religious issues, let's just put it that way, it, it's, religion is doing a lot of work when you're talking about subjugating the rights of women, okay? But that's also been a theme in many religions because they're dominated by men and they want to keep women down and they want to consolidate economic power. For better or worse, that's a big chunk of what the Catholic Church was up to for centuries. You know, these guys would fight crusades. Believe in my God or I'm going to kill you. That ain't religion. That ain't peace, right? That's domination. That's economic domination. The Catholic Church has enough money to end world poverty tomorrow, and they don't. You go over to the Vatican in Rome, it's disgusting. You could sell the marble alone, you know, and, and feed and clothe and house all those women and kids in those countries that make up most of their base these days, right? In Mexico and South America and all these places, they've been telling them, forever not to get abortions because it hurts the bottom line, right? That's less money getting tossed into the basket on Sunday if they stop, you know, having 10 kids, right? So, you know, I'm digressing a little bit, but it's all part of the same thing. They use religion and these kind of rules and dogma to uh, uh, assert dominance over people and keep the money flowing in. 
So the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation and all these late 70s conservative organizations were a reaction to the sort of environmental progressive politics of Carter, the 70s and coming out of the 60s, right? Because it freaked out the conservatives. There was a SCOTUS judge in like 1970 who basically told big business, you better get your act together because these environmentalists are coming to regulate you. You better teach them who's boss. And people like the Koch brothers listened, right? I've talked about it many times before, you know. David and Charles Koch weren't that political. Their dad was a John Birch Society nutbag who made his fortune, you know, breaking down crude oil for Stalin, okay, and wanted to adopt that sort of philosophy and bring it here to the United States. You know, so he was always conservative, and they certainly grew up in a conservative, racist environment in Kansas, right? But they weren't politically active until the end of the 70s, until there was a gas crisis, until people were turning towards solar power and alternative energy and realizing how polluted this planet was. You know, people forget the EPA started in 1970, right? Even Nixon realized how much industry was polluting. But the people above Nixon, and I'm not saying Nixon was a good guy, but even he understood you know, and Congress at the time understood that you needed an agency to regulate industry or they were going to kill us all for their bottom line. And that's what woke up these conservative organizations. And they started all these PACs and they started packing judges and they found Reagan, who was a really easy guy to manipulate because he was a dumbass figurehead who, who served us a very perfect purpose for conservatives. He allowed the people behind the scenes in the shadows to do whatever they wanted because he was great at getting in front of the camera and eating a couple of jelly beans and telling everybody everything was going to be all right and we were all good Americans, right? So all the gun groups, the NRA and the conservative PACs realized they had this Trojan horse that they could now get really conservative funding passed and really conservative judges on federal benches, you know, with this guy, with this sort of like simplifying this message and putting all of this stuff under the umbrella of conservative white Christianity. And that's where it began. And they used the guns and the abortion as a wedge issue because it gets people very worked up emotionally. But the end game was always oil and gas industry and protecting their interests. It still is to this day. You know, the ruling that they had on Friday, West Virginia versus EPA, kicking it back to the states to decide what is pollution, what is clean air. You know, you couldn't get a bigger setback to save this planet and to battle climate change than what they said. And you knew they were going to say it all along because that's what they're there for, right? I'm not saying they don't want the no abortion and stuff, but they want that to manipulate these Christians to, to feel like, hey, they gave us, you know, they outlawed abortion. They can do whatever the hell they want with them oil companies, far as I'm concerned, because they're on the side of Jesus, right? That's the mentality. Give them a gun. Hey, he gave me a gun. He ain't taking away my gun. He must care about freedom. No, he doesn't care about freedom, and he doesn't care if your kid gets shot in their little public school in South Texas because his schools or his kids are going to Horace Mann. You know, his kids are going to some fancy-ass prep school in the Northeast where they're not going to get gunned down in a classroom and have a bunch of coward cops hanging out in the hallway, you know, 
wondering who's got the balls to go inside when nobody even had the guts to check the door to see if it was locked and the police chief just had to retire. It was all a disgrace, right? But what was the immediate reaction? Circle the troops, put on the cowboy hats, get a bunch of white men on stage talking about, hey, hey, liberal, how dare you politicize this event, right? The same knee-jerk reaction worked, right? Just like the, the governor, Abbott, this week blamed the over 50 people that were found escaping Guatemala, right? Because we, we changed our immigration policy and they couldn't get into the country now seeking political asylum as they should because we screwed up life in Central America. Reagan, your call back to the guy I was just talking about, allowed those men in the shadows to manipulate life in Central America and fight illegal wars to the point that it's been a shit show ever since. So people trying to escape gangs and violence and things that we supported there forever and screwed it up so bad that they have no shot at a normal life, those people want to escape into America and we changed the policy. Trump changed the policy. So they can't. So they got to hide in the back of a truck, you know, and suffocate in the heat. And what does Abbott do? Immediately he blames it on Biden, calls Biden out by name and says it's his fault. That's so beyond despicable, right? But that's the same guy who th three weeks ago, a month ago, was like, don't politicize guns. This shooting's a tragedy. We just need to pray now. It's nobody's fault. No, it's your fault, and it's the NRA's fault, and it's every Republican's fault, and it's every person who voted for a Republican in the last eight years' fault. Stop doing this. Stop giving these people power. I'm trying to explain to you how this happens, and if you listen to this podcast, you don't really need my explanations. You already know what's going on. So it's basically just venting at this point, and even that becomes exhausting because we all know how we attack each other on the left to the point that it just gets like, why bother, you know? Everybody's so broken. They don't see exactly everything they want addressed in a single tweet. They're going to attack you in the replies for leaving something out that's bothering them in their, you know, authoritarian-induced psychosis that we're all living under these days at the breakfast table, right? The headlines don't stop. That's why I point this out week after week. You got to keep your eyes on the prize. You got to pay attention to what's really happening here. It's the oil and gas industry. It's the people that stand to make the most money that are influencing policy. That's what Citizens United was, right? That's what Mitch McConnell engineered. All this stuff is coming, you know, is the fruition, is coming to fruition of everything that Mitch McConnell set in place. Big business deciding what is allowed and what isn't allowed and who gets to, you know, operate on an uneven playing field, right? It's tilting it in the favor of mediocrity and big business and white folks and dudes that pretend to be Christians. And if you're born under that umbrella, you're fine. You know, stay out of trouble, you know. You get in a little trouble like Brett Kavanaugh will we'll snarl in your you know, confirmation hearing and defend your right to be a date rapist because you're still a white boy and you did get into Yale. So come on, back off. Boys will be boys, right? That's the whole attitude. That was the attitude of letting Trump become president, a known sex offender, you know, a known sexual predator that everybody 
in New York City knew. Nobody who worked on The Apprentice would want Trump around their children, period. His own daughter doesn't let him hang out with his grandkids, okay? Everybody knows who Trump is. He started attacking a friend of mine when she was 12 years old and she took ice skating lessons at his rink. And that woman ended up in Epstein's house with him. You know, she got exploited by a lot of men, but she told me, Noel, you wouldn't believe what they did to women in that house, right? And not a single person who participated in Epstein's sex trafficking, not a single male, shall I say, is in prison, right? Ghislaine Maxwell got sentenced to 20 years this week, right? And she should, right? But sh where are the guys? There was no clients. She was sex trafficking, and there's not a single client who gets held accountable, right? Prince Andrew, Donald Trump, you know, anybody else, Bill Gates, Bill Clinton, I don't care who it is, lock them up. But they're not going to lock them up because they're men. Lock up the woman, make an example of her, kill Epstein, get Barr to hide the evidence. Boom, problem solved. Business goes on, business as usual. You know, and the Koch brothers lived on the same block, dude. They're at 740 Park Ave. That's the billionaire's building on Park Avenue, okay? That's on the corner of 71st and Park right? The corner of 71st and 5th was Epstein's townhouse. So you can just walk out the side door, walk right down the street and knock on his brothel door, which is what he was doing. He was operating a brothel in New York City and he had big friends and powerful friends and he got away with it for decades. And when it hit the fan, you know, they covered it up and they sent a woman to jail. And she should be. I'm just trying to explain the same power structure, you know, the same Rudy Giuliani's. You know, a scumbag scumbag is still running around selling sandals on his Twitter page when he should have been in jail a year ago, right? You know, look at these hearings. Look at Cassidy Hutchinson. At the top of her hearing, she basically said Giuliani was the one coordinating with the P Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Right? That was came out in the first like four minutes of the confirmation on Tuesday. And we forgot about it instantly because everything else was so crazy that Trump was doing. And what Trump was doing was what Trump always did. Trump was being Trump. That's what I've been telling you guys about for five years. You know, he would fly into rages. He would throw stuff. He would curse people out. He would say the N-word. He'd walk into the TV truck and say, get a close up on her tits. No, not that one, the one with the big tits. That's how he would talk. You don't think NBC knew about that? You don't think Jeff Zucker at CNN knew about that? As I said in my car rant this week, of course they did. You don't think reporters at the New York Times knew about that? You don't think they'd read Wayne Barrett's coverage of Trump in the Village Voice in the 80s? Of course, everyone knew, but there was money to be made and you don't wanna rock the boat and take on the powers that be. And here we are. And Trump's good at bending all this stuff to his will. You know, I talked about it years ago. Nobody picked up on it, but I did a lot of events with the Secret Service. You know, when I was, Obama's inaugurations and Christmas in Washington was where I started my career and the Kennedy Center Honors, that was the Clinton administration. They'd always be at the gigs. I'm used to like the Secret Service doing a sweep and coming through and getting clearance to go to the White House and all that kind of stuff. 
That all changed when Trump became president, and I could see it. I could see that he was going to bend the Secret Service to his will and turn them into, like, you know, porters carrying his daughter's luggage around and his drugs and protecting him. And the reason I knew that was I saw him go to a UFC fight at Madison Square Garden. He stood on the floor of the garden. This is two weeks before he went to Walter Reed, and I tweeted about this, you know, his surprise visit to Walter Reed. He was there on the floor of the garden, and he had Chuck Zito, the one-time head of the New York chapter of the Hells Angels, the celebrity, the big Trump supporter, the guy who was always at the Trump, you know, celebrity apprentice after parties with the Hells Angels. And this isn't an indictment of the Hells Angels. Sonny Barger died this week. Rest, rest in peace. You know, I know some Hells Angels in Oakland and stuff. You know, they're not all bad, and I'm not going off on them. Chuck Zito's a scumbag, you know, and he's always been, but he's sort of like a celebrity backstage in New York. And uh, Trump loves him, always had, because he's a tough guy, toxic masculinity. And I've told the story before how I took his picture at a Celebrity Apprentice after party, and he basically said, like, if I wasn't there right now, you know, if, if we weren't in this party, I'd be kicking your ass right now. <laughs> but um, anyway, he got to backslap Trump on the floor of the garden. Okay, there's Chuck Zito went to prison in the 80s for stabbing somebody. He was on trial for blowing somebody up. Okay, he went to prison for a violent crime. He was the one-time head of the New York chapter of the Hells Angels until the Hells Angels kicked him out. Okay, so this is not a guy that the Secret Service would normally get let in the building if the president was there. And I tried to explain this and nobody bit, but when I was doing Obama's second inauguration, President Obama's, we had Soundgarden play, and I was assigned to Soundgarden. And one of their security team had a prior from way back, you know, got in a bar fight or something. I don't even know the specifics, but something that made him ineligible to be in the building with the president. And the Secret Service took me aside and said, that guy can't be in the building. He can't get in the elevator when we go upstairs to the commander-in-chief's ball where Obama's going to be, President Obama. So go tell this guy he can't be part of the gig. And I had to do that, and the guy hated me. <laughs> Whole different story, right? But that's how it used to be. My point is everybody would get vetted. And if you were in a high-risk area, like the floor of the garden during a UFC fight, you know, even though those lunkheads all probably love Trump, there's still a bunch of jacked up dudes that think violence is fun, you know, that consider themselves MMA fighters or whatever, right? Not exactly like, you know, a peaceful event to, ha to have to protect the president in, right? But there they were on the floor, and there it was, Trump, Don Jr., and Eric with Chuck Zito giving Trump a backslap, giving him a bear hug backslap, the president of the United States getting hugged by an ex-con, ex-Hells Angel. And right then I knew, oh, the Secret Service is on his team. They're not even following protocol anymore. And that's what came out, right? The big thing that came out of the testimony was how he tried to, you know, choke Bobby Engel. And I haven't mentioned this on Twitter, but I went to high school with Bobby Engel. He was a year ahead of me at Lakeland High School in Westchester County. He married somebody who was in my class, and he's still married to that woman, and I'm friends with her brother. You know, and as far as I know, Bobby's basically a good guy. I think it was the Tony or Nato, whatever, who was pure Trump. He's the one that Trump appointed to be a White House specialist, and the guy left the Secret Service and was basically a Trump aide and then went back to the Secret Service. And that guy is the reason that Biden 
switched out the Secret Service team when Biden came in. But point being, I went to high school with the Bobby Engel guy who was all over the news. I don't want to diss on him. I don't know what his deal is. I know the kind of guys that go into law enforcement are often the kind of guys that get very enamored of Donald Trump, especially if you grew up in the New York area in the 80s. Because if you're kind of a suburban fireman cop kind of guy, Trump was like the billionaire. You know, he was the guy from Queens who talked like the rest of the sort of, you know, middle class, working class New York area. So he was kind of like this folk hero that... I've seen it happen. You know, when I worked around Trump, you'd see the cops, just their eyes would light up like they're seeing Santa Claus. They're like, oh my God, Donald Trump. You know, people get weird around celebrity and fame and Trump knew that and he used it like jujitsu. You know, he, he'd, he'd kiss these guys' asses and next thing, you know, you knew they would do anything he wanted and they would do his bidding. You know, I talk about Keith Schiller all the time. Keith was at NYPD Rammer on the narcotics squad up in the Bronx. His job was to bust down the, you know, the doors of drug dens with that big piece of steel, you know, the battering ram. That's why they call him the rammer. That was Keith's job, you know. And then all of a sudden Keith walked up to Trump because he saw him in court downtown and said, you need to hire me. You need to hire me, sir. And Trump hired him, and then he became his aide-de-camp. He became the guy who knew where all the bodies were buried and stood there with a shovel and made sure you fell in the hole, you know, before he covered you up and covered up Trump's crimes. So my point is those are the kind of guys who get enamored of Trump. You know, I haven't seen Bobby Engel since high school. He lived in my town. He was, as I said, a year older than me, and I hung out with older kids. But, you know, he was, a, he was the kind of guy who would become a Secret Service agent. You know, and, and those kind of guys are are ripe to get corrupted by the conservatives. And I'm not saying Bobby is, and I know he married into a good family. You know, I know his wife and his brother-in-law, and you know, it's a good it's a good family. But my 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 larger point is institutions can be corrupted, especially if it's done under sort of the guise of officialdom, right? If a dude is a president of the United States and he has a label, you know, a lapel pin that says as much, you know, in an American flag, and he's telling you what to do and where to go, it's hard to stand up to him. And kudos to Bobby Ingle for saying, no, sir, we're not going up to the Capitol, right? We're going back to the White House. Take your fucking hand off the steering wheel. I know he didn't curse, but he probably wanted to. And by the way, that guy Bobby Ingle would, would crush, you know, would would kick Trump's ass in a heartbeat, which is also funny. Trump's always a tough guy when it's like a 12-year-old girl or a cop who works for him, <laughs> right? There's nothing tough about the guy otherwise. He's sitting there in a diaper doing this. But, you know, even those guys understood the psychoticness of Trump in that moment, and thank God they didn't drive him up to the Capitol because you can only imagine what Trump's plan would be if he did go up there. Right. He wasn't going to march with the people because he can't walk more than 30 feet, but he was going to take that ride in the SUV, probably walk into the Senate chamber, you know, rip open his shirt with a Superman T-shirt on like he wanted to do, literally wanted to do when he left Walter Reed after getting COVID and his aides talked him out of that. Most people forget that story. That's a real story. I'm not making this up for comedic effect. When he was still in his hospital room and Mark Burnett was consulting with him to make a big campaign commercial of him leaving because he was so virile, 
he beat COVID all by himself, even though he got the best of technology and the best healthcare money can buy. He was going to make it all about his strength and his superior genetics that, you know, made him vanquish the viral enemy, right? So he, he, he comes up with a plan that I'll walk out of there and on the steps I'll rip open my shirt and I'll have a Superman emblem on my, on my t-shirt. How does that sound? He said this with all seriousness and somebody talked him out of it and said, no, nah, maybe we'll just put you in a helicopter and we'll take a big slow ride around the Capitol at sunset, you know, or around the, the Potomac. And that's what they did, right? They took a long, slow way back to the White House so you could get the Kennedy Center in the background and the sunset. That's all Mark Burnett. Mark Burnett's always been obsessed with helicopters. It's his signature look. That's why Trump was always in a helicopter and such. And Trump's no stranger to helicopters, right? That's how he whacked his three executives in 89 when they were testifying or about to testify in the Taj Mahal money laundering case that the feds were looking into. The mob got nervous and said, take that guy out. Take those guys out, Don. So even though Trump himself had a fleet of helicopters with his own name on them, and he doesn't get into anything that doesn't brand him and advertise himself, he rented a helicopter that day from a company in North Jersey, and he summoned his three executives to Manhattan to participate in a press conference for an upcoming boxing match at Taj Mahal. He said, hey, you guys got to get up here for this today. And they came up, and they did the press conference, and when they were heading back to Atlantic City, the helicopter crashed mysteriously in the Pine Barrens, and everybody on board was killed. And when the NTSB investigated it, they found a hairline fracture in the rotor that must have happened at the factory, even though it has happened at no other, to no other rotor in that factory. This one particular rotor that came out of this factory had a hairline fracture that caused a, you know, fatal crash where everybody on board died. Just a fluke. And just happened to coincidentally happen to Trump's executives that happened to be laundering money through Taj Mahal for the mob. So it's funny how all that works out, isn't it? Right? And it's funny how nobody digs deep into that stuff because you have agencies and law enforcement involved that doesn't want to get that involved. Right? It's easier to look the other way. And one of those family members of those, one of those executives, you know, I probably shouldn't say this, but she came to my last show in New York City and was very kind to me. And let's just say she sees who Trump is and her family knows who Trump is and they've never been cool with the way their family member died and they've always suspected Trump. But that was one of those things you couldn't get anybody to even look at, right? And you sound like a QAnon guy even bringing it up and it's all there it's in a paper you can google it right now you know and make your own decision about what happened but if you look at trump's record and you look at all this kind of malfeasance you'll see that it's not just trump it's institutions wanting trump to exist and survive and that's part of what we're dealing with and part of what i'm trying to say the money the dark money behind the conservative groups behind somebody like Trump, who everyone knows is a scumbag. He was nobody's first choice, but he became the only choice because the GOD, GOP didn't have the backbone to stand up to him, right? All the traditional politicians, the Jeb Bushes and stuff, they just melted 
because they'd never seen a New York bully, and they didn't know if you punched him in the nose back, he would have left you alone, because they all had sort of prep school politeness, and he just went ran roughshod over them, and it happened to dovetail with like a ratings bonanza, where he'd get on there and talk about Megyn Kelly in July and stuff, and then New York media and Jeff Zucker and all these guys that knew he was a scumbag saw their bottom line was greatly impacted in a favorable way. And they said, we're going to make a fortune off of this guy. Will you look at these numbers? It's July, and we're getting 5 million people tuning into a GOP debate. This is our dude, you know? So the New York Times and everybody else, you know, set it up like it was WrestleMania. Hillary Clinton was the foil, right? She was the bad guy that everybody hated, the smart, brainiac woman. Right, And here was the fun cartoon character billionaire who was going to make politics like WrestleMania exciting again. He was going to insult people on stage. That's more fun than talking about NAFTA and the environment. And that's what happened. The dumbing down of America, the hiding in plain sight what your true motivation is. And that's the oil and gas industry continuing with business as usual. And that's the regulatory agencies and the government officials and the federal judiciary protecting business, protecting the status quo. You know, and you can look at the beginnings of this country. That's what it's always been founded on, protecting a way of life for a certain minority rule to continue to have power. All this stuff we're dealing with now is a direct result of appeasement to slave states. That's what the Electoral College was. You know, holding out an olive branch, allowing these states to come into the union and still remain racist, to make assurances that the white wealthy landowners would still have all the say in the power. We shouldn't have done that. You know, we should have fought against Jim Crow laws. There's been a lot of opportunities in this country to really address our original sin, which is racism and genocide of indigenous people. And we're not trying to do that. And we're not only not trying to do that, now it's a, a, a different level of war on the truth, right? We saw this week in Texas and Ron DeSantis himself want to replace slavery, the word slavery, in history textbooks for kids with, you know, involuntary relocations, right? I mean, that's right out of a Carlin routine to say something like that involuntary relocation hey I know your flight wanted to land in Cleveland but we're gonna we're gonna go to Gary Indiana now it's no big deal right it's not an involuntary relocation you captured people brought them in shackles to the United States and made them work for free abused them attacked them, barely fed them, starved them, beat them, did every horrible thing a human can do to another human. It's not involuntary relocation. It's a mortal sin that requires a lack of morality so deep it's hard to imagine how it even existed. And we're not 300 years from it or 240 years from it or, or you know, 50 years from it, right? In the mid-60s, we were still fighting for blacks to go to the same schools as white people, to use the same water fountain, to sit at the same lunch counter. That was happening five years before I was born. People were fighting for that. 
That is insane. That is what we need to address as a country. What are you so afraid of? They're afraid of the truth. And somebody like Ron DeSantis wants to set up a theocracy, right? He wants Florida, he wants that next generation of Floridas to be so indoctrinated into racism and lying and worshiping a corrupt, greasy white man like himself or Donald Trump that they don't even recognize the truth, that the teachers don't even teach the truth, that slavery is a myth like the Holocaust and all these other narratives that they try to like paint as narratives because it's inconvenient, just like it's inconvenient to think about climate change and that the earth is getting hotter because oil companies are burning fossil fuels and carbon dioxide is heating up the planet, right? That's inconvenient. It's easier to buy a couple more decades of the industry to use fossil fuels, which is going to come become outmoded anyway because the planet's not going to survive, right? But in the meantime, Exxon's profits are up. Let's continue to keep the spigots open so the profits can run into our bank accounts as politicians, as judges. That's how it works. And that's why you got to fear somebody like DeSantis because he knows that. You know, when he's already beaten down science when it came to vaccines in Florida and testing. He was like, no, we're not going to give out the vaccine, but I'll set up Regeneron clinics. If you get sick, you can come here and get a free shot on me, though I'll pay Regeneron because they're one of my big campaign you know, contributors. A company up here in Terrytown, in Westchester County, that's where the money was going that Florida taxpayers and federal government funds had been sent to Florida to protect people. He found a way to re-circumvent it into his own coffers and to make it a political issue. You know, what do they call Florida? The freedom state or some stupid thing like that? The free state of Florida? That sounds like it comes out of a movie about enslaved people, right? That literally sounds like the free state of Florida sounds like I'm going to see a horror movie about slave owners and how awful they are. And that's what the GOP is right now, right? Florida has their teachers being exposed to these workshops this summer that Ron DeSantis is champion. And they'll give you a $700 stipend if you go to a three-day seminar on civics and teaching civics and basically saying that separation of church and state is not what the founding fathers wanted. Slavery wasn't really that bad. And Christianity is really what should be taught in schools. That's literally the message that they're bribing teachers to teach children. And you get 700 bucks for three days in the seminar. If you do really well, you can qualify for a bonus of like $3,000 if you become one of like the head cheerleaders for the civics lesson that isn't based in history or historical fact or science that's based in what Ron DeSantis wants, which is a theocratic state where you don't question authority and you assume if they identify as a white Christian male, they know what's best for you, your bottom line, your money, and your health. Does that sound like a fun place to live? Do you want Ron DeSantis deciding what's good for you? Nobody does. And if you let that guy become president, it's all over. And I think people know it. You know, and I think Trump knows it. Right? He knows that DeSantis basically has the perfect opportunity to take him down. Murdoch's already 
gone from Trump to DeSantis. All the big donors are now going towards DeSantis. Your Mercers, you know, your guys that were funding Trump last time are like, too much damage, man. Let's go with this Ron guy. He's slicker. He's got discipline. He went to Yale. He's a Navy JAG. You know, his job when he was a Navy JAG was in, in advising the SEAL teams in Iraq during the Fallujah surge as to what was within the Geneva Convention when they were torturing these guys, these enemy combatants that they would round up in cities and waterboard and stuff. Ron was the guy standing there being like, yeah, that's cool. You could do that. No, perfectly legal. On behalf of an oil company, right? What was Iraq? It was a war prosecuted by Halliburton and KBR at the behest of Dick Cheney to keep the spigots flowing, to keep the price of oil high, you know, to keep our control over this commodity, which was which has really more than anything else funded the American dream, right? The vast amount of wealth in this country, besides the first set of like big money that we created off of the backs of enslaved people and stealing land from indigenous people was the oil boom. It was the post-industrial revolution, right? A Nazi sympathizer, you know, Ford, an anti-Semitic guy figured out, hey, I can make an assembly line, turn out these cars cheap and sell them, you know, and make a ton of money. And that's what they did. And then the oil and gas companies, you know, Rockefeller, Standard Oil, hey, this is, the, this is the future. Forget about whales. We got oil now. Another fossil fuel, right? Dinosaur bones. And that's where we're at. And they're trying to protect that, you know? My grandfather was Nelson Rockefeller's roommate at uh, Dartmouth. And Chrysler was their other roommate, okay? My grandfather died in the 80s. This is my paternal grandfather, right? But that's how it was. You know, my, he, his wife was a Reynolds, Reynolds Steel. Industrial elitism, right? Profit centers, Ivy League schools, prep schools, a power structure of old white men that control the wealth and the future of this country is what make America great again really means. That's what they're saying let's go back to. You let the common man be as racist as he wants, have a gun and cheap access to gasoline and bullets and he'll be happy and in the meantime we could divvy it up all here in dc you know we'll get a clarence thomas or two a brett kavanaugh we'll even get one of these crazy ass acb chicks in here who god knows even what she thinks i mean she's like a crazy person's crazy person I, they must sit around like man she's whacked you know She's not a jurist. She's never been a judge. She's never tried a case. She's 50 years old. She could sit there for 40 years. You know? The good side of that is that you have Judge Jackson, Justice Jackson. You know, we do have progress. And, and that's why it's so ramped up and they don't even care anymore about trying to pretend like they're normal. The GOP is just like, give me a gun. Let me make a campaign ad. You know, if you saw Carrie Lake in Arizona, who I've mentioned before, if you saw her debate with the fellow Republicans, each one was crazier than the next. These are not smart people. These are Tea Party moron idiots who spent all their time on YouTube listening to conspiracy theories and seeing how rich your Mike Flynn's and your Mike Lindell's and your Roger Stone's and your Donald Trump's kids are getting 
off of political access, your Lauren Boberts and your MTGs, you're like, shit, that's all I got to do? Kristen Cinema, right, who's the same thing, a chaos agent who slipped in under the Democratic side because we're not good at, at regulating that. We had Andrew Yang on the Democratic primary stage. We got to get better, as a side note, of being more disciplined as Democrats. You can't just let anybody hop up there, claim they're a Democrat, because most of them are spoilers. Joe Manchin has been owned by the Koch brothers his entire career. Okay, He owns a coal mine. He owns a plant that pollutes the citizens of his state. He does not care about anything but his own bottom line. And this institutional, you know, business as usual politics, this is what it's going to get us. You know, and the flip side of it is hope. The flip side of it is a Justice Jackson, is people getting pissed off, is the next generation. You know, the young ladies that were performing last weekend at Glastonbury that spoke up from the stage, you know, Billie Eilish and, you know, I can't think of the other one's name, Olivia Rodrigo, Megan the Stallion, right? Badasses, badass, smart, fierce women, you know, people with some diversity in their background, people that understand what this country really looks like and what it is about. It's not just for white people, okay? It's for everybody, and that makes us all stronger. So those folks, you know, they give me hope. So it's not all bad, but the GOP knows if they take it over now, they never have to give it back. You know, there'll be no more free and fair elections, and there may not be at this point because... The states, you know, the states attorneys general and and all these positions that Trump has sort of like put his people in in the last year and a half, that's going to come to, you know, that's going to come to fruition in November and we're going to know what it really looks like, right? But in the meantime, if they don't get away with it, they're not really going to get another chance at this thing because they've screwed it up so bad and I think they know it and I think that's why they're almost like on a suicide mission in terms of just, you know, whatever it takes. And that's what came out in the hearing, right? That's what Cassidy was talking about. You know, Mark Meadows is sitting there looking at his phone when she's like, hey, dude, they're attacking the Capitol. Maybe go tell the president to tell him to stop. Yeah, he's not going to stop. He just doesn't even look up from his phone. He just keeps scrolling. And then he gets a million-dollar payout a couple days later from Trump's PAC because Trump raised a quarter of a billion dollars off of the Stop the Steal grift. And now Trump has to announce. He'll probably announce today. When you're listening to this, you may also hear Trump announces his candidacy because he has to. Because Trump, you know, because DeSantis has him up against a wall and it's really his only play left. It'll also help push back Merrick Garland, you know, and give another excuse to say any charges are politicized because they don't want him, you know to become president again. So, you know, it's the perfect strategic move. He'll probably take it. I'm recording this on Sunday, so it's anybody's guess, but my guess knowing him is that he does announce today. You know, and, and be wary if all the uh, headlines for the rest of the week are Trump's candidacy. What has Trump learned? What is the next Trump going to be? All this stuff that the media is going to want to write. The New York Times is going to want to write those pieces. Maggie Haberman is going to want to tweet out those links about what's Trump's thinking, you know, and who's going to be his, his advisor this time. Will Jared be coming back? Will Vonky 
You know, there's kind of all kinds of bullshit questions that they'll pose as think pieces and legit articles that are nothing more than clickbait designed to sell papers and get you to tune in to some story that you already know the ending. If you like the last five years, vote for Trump again and watch this country crumble and burn. But don't wave a flag and pretend like you're a veteran. You know, if you voted for Trump, sit this 4th of July out. Read a history book. Educate yourself and your family so you can stop this ignorance that's a plague. It's not a personal choice. It's not your politics. You've been had. You've been conned by a guy who is the worst thing for this country that we've ever had. Women have less rights now than they did in my generation, than they did two weeks ago. That's not how it's supposed to go. You're not supposed to go backwards. You're not supposed to have human rights being taken away. But that's what the GOP wants. You know? That's what we're looking at. That's what you're facing this 4th of July. So think long and hard about the myth and the reality of America. And what we can be is a glorious nation that has a place and a seat at the table for all. And that we learn from each other. And we celebrate each other. And we celebrate each other's cultures. And the uniqueness that everybody brings to this mosaic that can be a wonderful thing and a beacon of hope and freedom and democracy for the rest of the world. That's what we need to be. That's who we are on some level, right? But we got to get back to it. We can't let the corrupt idiots keep setting the narrative and we can't let the media and the people that profit from it and the lazy institutionalists that would rather not rock the boat Keep getting away with it. Cut their paychecks. Cut their pensions. You know? Why is Mike Flynn still getting a government pension? He took the fifth on would you support, you know, a free and fair election, a peaceful transfer of power. I plead the fifth. This guy was a general. The guy was in charge of his first big operation was in Haiti after Aristide was, was knocked out of Haiti. Americans sent in troops and it was called Occupation Democracy or something, you know? democracy invasion or whatever he that was his first big kind of event as a military leader how ironic is that the guy we sent into another country that was corrupt you know under the guise of he was going to bring democracy to haiti and he won't answer a simple question do you support the peaceful transfer of power that guy's in our military and his brother is in charge of the whole armed forces in the Pacific theater, right? It's because it's not a theater since we're not in war, but the Pacific, right? Asia, his brother, Charles Flynn, is the top guy over there. How does that bode well if Trump does come to back to power and decides he wants to lock it on, on down? No more elections or a DeSantis who will do it in a heartbeat and already knows the inner workings of the military, right? Think about that. Think about what kind of education, you know, DeSantis got on the laws of the military in terms of the Constitution when he was in Navy JAG school up there in Newport. Speaking of Rhode Island, I'm going to be going there for vacation for a couple of days. And a nice segue, huh? I, I got a special place I like to go there. It's not really a secret, but it's Block Island, very low-key place off the coast of Rhode Island, so I'm going to go ride a bike for a couple days and calm down and get ready for my show, which is going to be in Cape Cod, which is just across the same water 
in Massachusetts, West Yarmouth, Massachusetts. I'm going to be at the Music Room August 3rd in Cape Cod. Really looking forward to that show. It's going to be a good time. Come on out. If you like the podcast and you hear me ranting for an hour and are worried that that's what the comedy show is, it's not. It's it's still about things I care about because I'm not going to waste your time talking about anything that I don't think is important, right? But I do it in a comedic, fun way. It's a lot of fun. We all get together and talk and stuff after. And, you know, people like it. I like it. It's an honor to perform for you. So if you want to see me, great summer night, really nice venue. They get national acts in there. It's a great sounding room. Pretty part of the country. Couldn't get a better time of year. So come on out. August 3rd, Music Room, Cape Cod. I'm going to wrap up now. I know it's a holiday. I don't want to talk your ear off. Let me grab this guitar again. I like this guitar a lot. As I said, I told you how I got it. You know, it was that first, or it was the second Jackson Brown tour. It was a... Beautiful guitar, huh? I played it for Jackson after I got it too, and it was it was the, uh, it was a solo acoustic tour that we did across Canada, which was just a lot of fun. It's where I met my buddies in the uh, Trailer Park Boys, who I'm still friends with, and uh, you know I was talking about Glastonbury. I was there a couple times. If you don't know, it's a phenomenal uh, music festival in England. It's the best festival there is. You know, it's better than any other festival. It's just got such a unique thing, and it's in a unique area, and it's just got a great history. But I was there on my first Jackson Brown tour. He was playing there with his full band on the Pyramid stage, which is the main stage. And the band before him was called the Scissor Sisters, and I ended up dating one of their backup singers after that performance for a while. I won't get into that story. And uh, <laughs> I digress, but that's where we met backstage there. And I remember Jackson played, and then there's a lot of, you know, there's smaller stages and all these other bands. So Jackson played, and our tour bus, we had two tour buses, I think. And our, oh yeah, our tour bus was going to go back to, you know, to London, where we were staying at the Royal Garden, which is this great hotel next to Kensington Palace. And if you're there this month, like the whole hotel is rock stars. Like I remember getting into the elevator there and like Jimmy Page got in the elevator with me. Like it's that kind of deal. You sit down at the hotel bar and like Billy Gibbons will be there, or, you know, Usher or somebody. It's like, it's just filled with musicians and artists. But, um, so our hotel, our, our, bus tour bus was going to leave sort of after Jackson set and go back to London a lot of the band guys you know they've seen it all done it all so they all wanted to go back to London and we kind of took a vote and decided that Jackson and uh his partner and uh myself were gonna stay uh stay stay and watch the concert and we'd catch a ride later so that's what we did and we had this like we were going to follow out the, the, the main act that Saturday night was a band called uh, The Muse, which is a big like power trio rock band in England. 
very popular. So they were like closing out the night with a big rock show with lasers and all this. And they had set up a police escort to get out of there because the pyramid stage is this like in the middle of this sea of people. You know, it's just like a whole village of people and you're right in the middle of it. And there's one little road in and out, which other times at this festival, I've, I've been like in a pickup truck driving through the crowd and it's insane. But anyway, so we were going to tailgate basically on the Muse's police escort to get out of there at the end of their performance. And what happened was they performed and decided they wanted to hang too, right? But the police escort was ready to go. So we hopped in our tour bus and we're like, all right, let's do it. So we drove out of there with the police escort. And, you know, it's miles of people, right? So I was sitting up front and I happened to look like, I guess, the drummer or the singer in Muse a little bit, okay? And earlier in the day, that backup singer I told you about, she came up to me and thought I was in the Muse. And she's like, hey, you're the drummer in the band. And I was like, nope, I'm actually this guy's road manager. And she's like, oh, and turned around, couldn't get pat away from me quick enough when she found out I wasn't famous. And I ended up dating her. Like, if that wasn't a red flag, <laughs> you know, that, that it wasn't somebody you should be with, but whatever, live and learn, right? So I kind of look like the dude, like I could be in the band, you know? So I'm sitting up front. We got this police escort. So it's Jackson, Deanna, his, his partner, and me. And I'm in the front, you know, front seat riding shotgun and the bus driver. And he's driving us out. And people are on either side of the road. And they think I'm the guy in Muse. So they start screaming. So I start waving to them like, yeah, giving them like the devil horns and stuff. And they think I'm the guy in the band reacting to them. And they're just cheering for me and throwing love at me. And it went on for like two miles. And I couldn't believe the ego boost, you know, the, the adrenaline rush. It was like, I'm a golden god. You know what I mean? It was just insane. Like for two miles in the dark thousands of people on either side just clapping at me and cheering for me so that was my i'm a fake rock star at glastonbury story hope you guys have a wonderful holiday i really do appreciate all you guys for listening if you want a t-shirt i got noel castler t-shirts for sale on the website noelcastler.com come and see me august 3rd the music room cape cod but most importantly take care of yourselves enjoy this summer you know, these are hard times for all of us. This is a hard, hard time in American history. It demands all of our energy, all of our love, all of our light. We're going to bring it. We're going to change this place for the better. We're in a battle now that we're going to win. We're going to win the war. Love always wins. I love you guys. Happy summer, and I'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>